Jesus said to them, but you, who do you say that I am? On Friday night, Charlene and Harry and I decided to go down to the West Village to try a restaurant that we had a gift certificate for. It was down on 7th Avenue and Bedford Street. There's something you need to know about me. I have a fantastic sense of direction. (laughs) The best sense of direction. (laughs) It functions everywhere. On the street, down in the subway, inside a building in a windowless room. It's impeccable. Mm. That's not always a good thing. I want you to know that. For one thing, most people find it annoying. And for another, when people are talking innocently and saying things casually like, I think I need to head over to the east side, it makes my skin crawl, and I can't stand it, and my blood pressure rises. But my keen sense of direction has another bad side as well, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. At that restaurant down in the village, we had a great meal. So good that Harry didn't even want to look at the dessert menu, which has never happened before. And then the three of us left the restaurant, turned left, and headed uptown to walk a bit and catch the subway uptown and ended up in Soho. Well, the first week you moved to New York, you learn several different things, don't you? First, you learn that whatever, what, that what maybe should be called Houston Street, and anywhere else in the country would be called Houston Street, is not called Houston Street, it's called Houston Street. And second, you learn that the area south of Houston is neither Suhu or Suhow, but so ho for no reason that anybody remembers. Yeah, but it's why isn't it Sao Hugh? Or Sao How? I'm troubled by this now that I've thought about it. I'm very troubled by this. So ho. But more important, and actually relevant to the story, is that Soho is not uptown from the village. You learn that sub- Soho is never uptown from the village. So I was confused. <laughs> Why was Soho suddenly uptown from the village? I couldn't understand it. And why, when we specifically crossed 7th Avenue at my direction to grab the uptown one, was the stairway to the subway marked downtown in Brooklyn? This was confusing. And finally, as I looked around in my puzzlement, why had the traffic on 7th Avenue, which has always, for all my time in New York, flowed downtown towards the sea, suddenly gone and changed direction, as if it were the Hudson River following the tides? Now, you'll be relieved to know that eventually it dawned on me that I had let myself get turned around and that I had been too sure of myself to realize it. And as I humbly, humbly led my family, who had been confused but polite, 
down onto the uptown platform, admitting as we went, though it hurt, that I'd let myself get turned around, I sang to myself very quietly the old song, Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round, turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round. Not even myself. Not even myself. Which brings me to the gospel message for today. Now, as you heard a moment ago, Jesus is back in Galilee. He's left Lebanon, where we found him last week. Remember talking to the Canaanite woman who turns him around a bit? Now Jesus is walking with his disciples through northern Galilee, and he's curious about how he and his message are being perceived out there. He wants to check it out. He wants to check in, get their take on things. It's sort of, but not quite the theological equivalent of, does this gospel message of love and justice make me look fat? So he asks, Who do people say that I am? Now, before we're tempted to view that question as unnecessarily narcissistic, we might realize how important it is for all of us to check in about things because nobody, not even Jesus, can always be sure and be aware of how we're coming off to other people. And our unintended messages, whatever they are, that are coming across can have unintended consequences. No surprise. You know that. You've experienced that. And like me and like you, even Jesus can grow too sure of himself and let himself get turned around. And he wants to be careful about that because the world is strange and people are kind of strange. And you know that also. So Jesus asks them this. Who do people say that I am. And they have answers. It's kind of like a Gallup poll, you know, it's 40% of the people when asked say that you are John the Baptist, 30% say that you are Elijah, and 20% say that you are perhaps Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And they might have added, but they, they didn't. Probably the rest of the people have absolutely no clue who you are, Jesus. And Jesus takes all that in. He takes in the poll, He's not going to let himself get turned around by any of that, but he takes it in. And then Jesus has a follow-up question. And of course, it's the question that really matters, and it's the question that we're going to think about today. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He asks his followers. And that's what they really have to think about. That's what they have to decide. That's what they are going to have to know if they're going to keep following Jesus. If they're not going to let themselves get turned around by what all the other people say. Simon Peter has an answer, right? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but he has an answer and he comes up with it quickly. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's Simon's answer. Simon says, Jesus likes his answer. Frankly, he's surprised that Simon Peter, who, let's face it, is not the ripest olive on the tree, has come up with that. He's surprised that Peter can come up with an answer like that. He likes it so much, he gives Simon Peter a new answer, a new name, which I've already clued you in on. You are Peter, he says. 
You are no longer Simon, but you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. You get it? You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. It sounds better in Greek. Now you get it? You are Peter, and you are Petros in Greek, and on this Petra, I will build my church. He's punning. You are Peter, and on this Petra, I will build my church on this rock. I will build my community on you, you rock. Not a building built on a foundation of stone. He's talking about a community of people built on a human foundation. That's what he has in mind, and that's important, because whatever anybody wants to do to this beautiful building... Whatever symbol of hate might mar and scar our edifice, this physical manifestation of God's love, it's not the church. We know that it's not the church. The church of Jesus is something else. The church of Jesus is here, is among us, is you and me. The church of Jesus is everywhere where God is worshipped in spirit and truth. The church of Jesus is anywhere that the gospel of love and justice is preached and lived. And that's harder to mar and scar. Well, as some of you know, somebody felt moved to draw a swastika on the corner doorway of the church the other day, right underneath the banner that says, Hate has no home here. I have no idea who did that. In a way, it doesn't matter, because in a way, it's not the work of one person, is it? It's perhaps the work of a wider culture in which it seems to be growing increasingly okay to spread a message of division and distraction and destruction. It's the work of that culture. Whether it comes from a thoughtless kid or a hooded coward or a clueless commander-in-chief, it doesn't matter. It's not something you can pin on one person. It's a sickness that seems to be slowly gripping our beautiful country. I don't want to say a lot more about that. I'm kind of tired of talking about that. You're probably growing leery of listening to all that and weary of worrying about all of that. And so for today, I want us to focus on faith and not all of that. Focus on finding the faith that we affirm. Like Peter, I want to invite you to wrestle with the question that Jesus asks to wrestle with it like Peter and to come up with an answer that you know is truth for you. Truth is so hard to get a handle on. (laughs) So hard to get a handle on these days. These days where truthiness has turned to alternative facts and fake news. Anybody remember truthiness? I'm so nostalgic for truthiness. The word of the year in 2005. It has a quaint ring to it now. Who knew that there might come a time when we would yearn for truthiness and at least the nod in the direction of truth that it implied? But truth, our truth, the truth that my faith 
leads me to about who I am. The, the truth that your faith leads you to about who you are and who God is and what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, follower of this itinerant Torah teacher from Galilee, this lover of life, this liver of love. That's a truth that we need to know. But we need to know it for ourselves. It's not something you get out of a book, not even the book. You need to know it for yourself. And then it's a truth that nobody can take from you, that nobody can turn around on you. I've been reading, of all things, the memoir of Ulysses Grant in my spare time, and I have learned a few things beyond the fact that his real first name was Hiram. Oh, I knew somebody would come up with it. Hiram. (laughs) No wonder he went by Ulysses, which isn't that much better. And from that memoir, in the first volume, comes the quotation that I added to this week's bulletin, describing the churches of his own small hometown in Ohio at the start of the Civil War, perhaps including the Methodist church started by his parents. He wrote, There were churches in my part of Ohio where treason was preached regularly and where to secure membership hostility to the government, hostility to the war, and hostility to the liberation of the slaves was far more essential than a belief in the authenticity or credibility of the Bible. That is a phrase that reached out of the 1860s and grabbed me by the throat. Because I've been thinking about these things lately. Realizing with anguish that after the hateful and problematic comments about Charlottesville, the only one of the evangelical leaders to quit the President's Advisory Council was my friend A.R. Bernard. And my own struggle is this. How can people who follow Jesus, who read daily, as I believe they do, the gospel that I read, who have experienced the same as I have, the unmerited love and grace of God, of a loving God who loves us all, how can anyone continue to cling to a covert gospel of white supremacy instead of the overt gospel of love, justice, and reconciliation that is so plain in the pages of scripture and the traditions of our church. How is that possible? How can that be possible? But for now, I'm determined not to be bothered over much by that. Because whatever happens, whatever anyone may make of Christianity, whatever others may make of the Christian tradition, I still have the responsibility to face my Savior and wrestle with the question that he asks me. Who do you say that I am? You don't need to run down those other people. Who do you say that I am? You don't need to listen to those other people. You don't have to get turned around by those other people, but you need to answer the question, who do you say that I am? And my answer doesn't have to be theirs. My answer can have nothing to do 
nothing to do with a a self-serving or other-excluding or small-minded message, not because I'm so smart or well-read or sensitive or spiritually connected, not because of any of that, but because I follow Jesus, the Jesus who was the incarnation of love and calls you and me to be the physical embodiment of that love in wherever we find ourselves, whatever time and place we are ourselves. Do not be conformed to this world, says that Jesus through the God, through St. Paul. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. One of the reporters the other day during the 15-minute news cycle that our swastika was plastered over the media, one of the reporters asked me, Will something like this make your congregation more reluctant to take a stand against racism and white supremacy? And I stood there very confused, thinking I had surely misheard the question and realizing that surely this poor benighted reporter does not know you or me. Will this make your congregation more reluctant? But we're not going to let a thing like that turn us around, right? We're not going to let a thing like that turn us around. How ridiculous a thought is that? Because we're not going to let anything like that turn us around from where we know we need to go. Because where we need to go is to follow Jesus and to live out his gospel of love and justice and reconciliation. A broad and generous love that includes all people on earth, all beings on this planet and the universe beyond. So who do you say that that one is? That's what you have to think about and that's what each of us has to decide. That's what you have to know if you're going to keep following Jesus. If you're not going to get turned around by what anybody else says, I ain't going to let myself get turned around.